Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Well, the uh, Omicron is rolling across America. New York is getting hit really hard right now, and uh, there are lessons there for all of us. Uh, For example, here in Portland, Multnomah County, where we live, is encouraging people to uh, have a month's worth of supplies in their house because there's going to be so many people who are going into quarantine and it may be you. And so make sure that you've got, you know, toilet paper and and enough food to last at least a month. This is not, you know, some kind of panic buying things. Louise and I actually did this over the weekend uh, before the, before the county issued their statement. You know, I mean, just look at what's going on in New York. It's going to get rough for a while. That's the bad news. The good news is a, we've been through this before. We know how to do this. What we thought was going to happen a year and a half ago is now happening. In other words, it's sweep through really fast and really hard. And number two, because it's sweeping so fast and so hard, it's going to burn through fairly quickly. I mean, we'll see. My guess is April, May, you know, it'll start really petering out badly. But, you know, we'll see. So we can talk about that. And, you know, how is this affecting you and your friends and neighbors and all that kind of stuff? Also, I want to get into the Build Back Better. Joe Manchin on Sunday told Fox News that he's a no on Build Back Better, which kills the bill. There's actually some good news around that, and I'll get into that. Actually, several dimensions of good news associated with that. We'll get into that. With Build Back Better, this is really interesting. First of all, the Democrats have now decided that they don't have to play nice with Joe Manchin anymore. right? He has said what he said. He doubled down on it this morning. Although he is keeping open the option of a smaller bill. Right. But the White House said, and this was specifically approved by Joe Biden, by President Biden, quote, while staff drafted language addressing Manchin's specific concerns on inflation, climate provisions, and how the plan was paid for, Biden specifically instructed them to add that if Manchin stood by his comments, he had violated his word to the president. This is from CNN. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer called Manchin out in a Dear Colleague letter. This is a letter that the, the, the head of the Senate, Senate Chuck Schumer, 
sent to all of his Democratic colleagues. He acknowledged a deep discontent and frustration, and he said, quote, the decision to delay floor consideration of the Build Back Better Act because Senator Manchin could not come to an agreement with the president. It's, it's amazing. He, it goes on. This is um, what Bernie said. He said, I think he's going to have a lot of explaining, talking about Manchin, I think he's going to have a lot of explaining to do to the people of West Virginia to tell him why he doesn't have the guts to take on the drug companies to lower the prescription co drug costs. West Virginia is one of the poorest states in this country. You've got elderly people and disabled people who'd like to stay at home. He's going to have to tell the people of West Virginia why he doesn't want to expand Medicare to cover dental, hearing, and eyeglasses. But Schumer goes on in this dear colleague letter, this is absolutely fascinating, to say that Build Back Better is going to go forward with another dig at Manchin, by the way. He says more than one in four American adults didn't take their prescription medication because of its cost. He says the bipartisan tax child credit we explained in the rescue plan uh, expired last week. He said our planet is warming so fast that extreme weather disasters are now commonplace in America. He says we've lost at least three million workers since the pandemic began, many of them women leaving the workforce because of a, a lack of affordable child care. He goes on to say, therefore, senators should be aware that the, senator, the Senate will, in fact, consider the Build Back Better Act very early in the new year so that every member of this body has the opportunity to make their position known on the floor, not just on television. In other words, Chuck Schumer is saying, okay, Joe, we're going to call your bluff. We're going to do it after the first of the year because we just went on friggin' vacation, which I've been pulling my hair out about. But we're going we're gonna to call your bluff, Joe. Now, there is also a way around Joe Manchin, and I'll get to that right after this break, and I will pick up your phone call. It's very quick, and I'll pick up your phone calls on the other side of this break. Also, how's COVID treating you and your family, and how are people dealing with it? Have you been able to get home test kits? We're stocked up. Tom Harvin here with you. Okay, here's why what Joe Manchin did over the weekend may not be as terrible as we all think. And, and hang on, <laughs> listen, listen for a moment. The Build Back Better bill had so many different pieces to it that much like the American Rescue Package that was passed back in June or the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill that was just passed last month, People have no friggin' idea what's in it. And Manchin has been saying, break pieces out and pass them one at a time. Now, I get it. You, you, you can only do reconciliation once. But there may be pieces that can get passed without reconciliation. Keep in mind, 19 Republican senators voted for the bipartisan infrastructure bill. And the biggest one of those possibilities... I guess, you know, this doesn't really fall into the category of, of Manchin did a good thing, but, but, you know, hey, this is making lemonade out of lemons, I suppose. But the one, the one area where I think that we probably could bring in some red state senators is energy. Texas is getting 20% of their electricity now from wind power. Iowa is getting 40% of their electricity from renewables, from wind and solar. And those are states that have Republican senators. So 
And again, you know, keep in mind, 19 Republican senators voted for the uh, for the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act. So I would suggest that, they, you know, they're going to hold the vote first thing in January. It's been another two weeks, basically. A week and a half, about two weeks. And immediately after they hold that vote, assuming it goes down because Manchin still doesn't support it. Now, in the intervening two weeks, maybe they will have tweaked it enough that Manchin can save face and go along with it. We'll see. I mean, you know, Joe Manchin's found himself, you know, he, he, got, he put himself in a box. But if they broke out just the energy part and said, we're going to promote wind and solar because Iowa needs it, Texas needs it, Kansas is big on, in wind power right now. Um, I, you know, Wyoming is developing wind power. This is the new thing. A lot of these ranchers and farmers in the Midwest and, and the Western states are discovering they can make more money leasing their land out to energy companies who put up, you know, wind windmills, you know, wind turbines or solar panels than they can make punching cows. So, you know, is that going to be the thing that makes it happen? Interesting. Anyhow, so picking up your calls and your thoughts on all of this, I see Paul in Woodenville uh, wants to weigh in on, on Article 4, Section 4. Hey, Paul, what's up? Yeah, um, so I'm looking at this part, this thing that you're talking about here, and what comes to mind first is that, you know, saying that the United States shall guarantee to each state a Republican form of government means that the Congress shall define what constitutes a Republican form of government Correct, and, which they've never done before, and and the uh, Freedom to Vote Act explicitly does that. Right, because the states will, and this is kind of my point, the states will undoubtedly argue, no, no, we, are, we do have a Republican form, but, and they can have the states, the several states may have their peculiarities with regard to that, as long as it conforms to the general definition that Congress provides, and uh, the Supreme Court, I think the, the Congress in this bill could and should Notate explicitly the Supreme Court may not rule on this. They oh, yeah. May not overrule <laughs> put, Congress. put court stripping into it. I'm all in favor of that. I would also cite the 14th Amendment. I, you know, I would argue that the 14th Amendment right. did establish a definition of Republican form of government because, but because they didn't say it in the 14th Amendment, you know, the due process clause, because they didn't say, among others, because they didn't say it. Uh, the courts have just avoided ruling on it. And that all goes back to Roger Tawney in 1849, just, you know, thinking, oh, my God, if, if, if we, if we uh, empower the, the guarantee clause, then it will be used to end slavery. And he, was, and he would have been right, by the way. Well, the only thing I don't want to do about the 14th Amendment is this is kind of what's going on in the text, because this, this clause, Article 4, predates the 14th Amendment. Oh, yeah. So, uh, okay, so... By over 100 know, years. The, yeah. It also says that the, the United States got, shall, shall protect states from invasion and also corruption by legislatures and executives of the state and violence, domestic violence, which Correct. I read to be things like Proud Boys and so on. So I agree. you don't want to leave an opening. You don't want to leave an opening anywhere to say that, oh, you know, the 14th Amendment only applies to the legislatures. So you can go employ your, you know, your mercenary uh, gangs to go around and intimidate people. Yeah. Um, so that I, I think the Congress can do can do that, and the Supreme Court. This is a case where the Supreme Court really. I don't think even if it weren't written specifically into the bill, they don't have much to say about it because this is so 
this is so explicit in the Constitution that, that, that when it says the United States shall guarantee, that means the Congress. That means the Congress shall. That's correct. That's absolutely, you're absolutely right, Paul. And if you read the actual debate that they held in the, in the Constitutional Convention in Independence Hall in Philadelphia on July 19th, no, July 18th, excuse me, uh, 1787, that is so clear. I mean, the debate centered around what happens if a state does what, what happened in Massachusetts in 1680 or 1690 when Roger Williams finally said, okay, that's it, I'm out of here, and went off and founded Rhode Island because the state right. had turned into a theocracy. It had turned into a dictatorship by the church. And, and you know, so that, that literally was what the representative from Massachusetts put on the floor as the issue to debate. What happens if this, if what happened to us 100 years ago happens in the future in some other state where they simply decide, we don't care what the voting public says, we're going to make our own rules. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Uh, Paul, I got to move along, but thank you very much for the call. It's a great one. Russ in Hickory Hill, Illinois. Hey, Russ, what's up? Russ? No, Russ. Let's try Tim in Shelby Township, Michigan. Hey, Tim, what's on your mind today? Uh, hi, Tom. Why aren't the Democrats actually playing hardball? Why don't they find out exactly what mansion, what uh, cinema, and some of the other Republicans have gotten penny for penny from uh, lobbyists, big pharma, etc. Find out where they started when they got in Congress, what they have now. Well, a lot of it's a matter of public record, Tim. Them. You know, the, the pharma industry spent over a million dollars uh, on television ads promoting uh, cinema. Uh, you know, when she said that she was going to vote against anything that would raise pharma prices. And Manchin has received over a million and a half dollars from right-wing donors in the Koch network and other right-wing billionaire networks who typically only support Republicans. So, I mean, that, those, are, those are matters of public record. Exactly. And why aren't those being published so that most they of are. the citizens who don't pay attention to this would actually see it in advertisements, billboards. Oh, well, uh, and here's, here's why, Tim, because the minute that cinema or mansion are sufficiently pissed off by Democrats calling them out and decide to leave the party is the minute that Chuck Schumer loses all his power in the Senate, or the vast majority of it. It's also the minute that, that Joe Biden becomes a lame duck president, and that would be a disaster. I mean, there's a there's a delicate line here. I, I on Sunday, uh, Sunday morning after I, I saw what Manchin said on TV, I tweeted and I included his his Twitter handle in my tweet, and said, you know, this guy's a coward. He's not willing to stand up to big pharma, big fossil fuel, or the right wing billionaires, you know, who are funding him. And you know, it it went somewhat viral. And I really debated with myself, you know, do I do I shove this in his face or not? But I think he is behaving in a cowardly fashion. So I thought, you know, if I'm going to say it, I might as well own it. But there is, there is going to be a line. And Manchin made reference to that in an interview that is uh, quoted, I, I believe I saw it on Raw, Raw Story this morning, where he said, you know, if Democrats don't like me, just push me out of the party. And it's going to be by his definition, right? It's not like Chuck Schumer is going to come and say, you're no longer a Democrat. And at some point, Manchin's going to say, okay, I'm tired of taking crap from you people. So, you know, it's, it's just, it's just, a, it's just a, a delicate line. Uh, Tim, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. Ray in Naperville, Illinois. Hey, Ray, what's up? Uh, hi. 
let's hope we can get this voting right uh, bill passed because yeah. um, I think, you know, I've heard you mention that the, the rights of workers and are totally, you know, gone in this country. It's all to the corporation. Yeah, not totally, and but damn mentioned- near, yeah. You mentioned that, you know, people go into bankruptcy because of health issues. And the company that I used to work for, I got terminated because I had a kidney transplant. And I work in healthcare, actually. And I found out the other day that this company has terminated three other people who've had cancer. And they just terminated them. Once you lose your FMLA, and that's what happened to me. I used some of it in January. What's an FMLA? Uh, FMLA is workers' rights, you know, like the time that you get off if you're really sick. Right. And I used a little of it, and I used January and February. Then I had a transplant in May 7th, and they terminated me June 11th, Right. right when I found out you know, right when I met, met that 12 week. This is why we need laws to protect workers and why we need unions, Ray. I mean, you are the, the living, breathing embodiment of the kind of abuses. And Ray, thank you for the call. The kind of abuses that have led in the past to putting firmly into law the right of workers to, to unionize and to stand up to their employers. Back in the 1930s, the Supreme Court has gutted many of those rights. Republicans in Congress, particularly with Taft-Hartley, have further gutted them. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And we need to put them back into law. The PRO Act right now would go a long way toward that. It has passed the House. It is languishing in the Senate. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. 
Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Frank and Sen, is it, how do you say that? Uh, Jacinto? Uh, San Jacinto, Jacinto, California. San Jacinto, yes. okay. Hey, what's up, Frank? I just have two things to say. Why not use the four-minute men like Fairbanks and Chaplin to go to these states and speak to people? Also, do graphics where you show the conditions and, and also get the, pe- the constituents to flood all these red state senators, representatives, and let them know how they really feel right. about what they're not getting, you know, what they deserve. I think that would be in their faces and stuff, and let the constituents do that and pressure these people because this softball stuff is not working. You yeah. know, Democrats really need a, a strong message that they don't have and really stick to it. So I'll if take it, by by not working, you mean not working with Mansion and Cinema, or, uh, or not working generally the across the board? The yeah. messaging is just totally inadequate, inept. Yeah, yeah. I get it. I agree with you. You know, I do what I can here. It's like I'm writing books and articles about how to message. I, you know, in 2010, I wrote a book on how Democrats can message. It's called Cracking the Code. I've been pounding on this. I, you know, there's a couple of members of Congress that I talked to about this in, in kind of back channel, and they're doing the very best they can. One of the problems, Frank, is that you know, uh, Bernie Sanders, other members, not just Bernie, members of the Congressional Progressive Caucus are regularly calling press conferences. I mean, literally regularly making themselves available to the press. And the press has no interest because they want to cover Donald Trump. They want to cover the right wingers. I mean, if Chuck Grassley decides to say something or if Rand Paul decides to say something or if Ted Cruz wants to say something, suddenly there's 50 microphones in their face. Or for that matter, Joe Manchin or Kirsten Cinema. But if Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren wants to say something, if, if uh, you know, your, your general progressives, if, if uh, you know, my member of Congress wants to say something, it's just uh, Peter DeFazio wants to say something, Earl Blumenauer is my, my member, if he wants to say something, if that happens, eh, you know, they don't cover it, they don't talk about it, they don't, you know, it's not, it's not viewed as a big deal. We have such a bias in the corporate media in this country toward conservative legislators, whether they're conservative Democrats or whether they're Republicans. And we have, and it's been that way my entire life. And, or at least it's been that way since, since the Reagan era. It's been that way since the eighties. And it just blows my mind. Well, may I interject? Yes, sir. Some of their constituents is to come forward and speak on the matter. And I don't think can, can ignore that at all. What do you mean? The press get the get this constituents there to demonstrate in front of the um, their offices back home, and get people who aren't afraid to come forward and speak on the subject, and that way they will then take notice and uh, more likely uh, give them airtime. You know they've tried that. Um, they're they're uh, I, you know in fact I a friend of mine was one of the people who is in uh, Michael Moore's movie Sicko. And, you know, is just really having a hard time financially and and health-wise. And she's constantly making herself available to the media. They have no interest. It's it's just, I mean, we've got a media crisis in this country, Frank. We really do. Frank, thanks a lot for the call. You, you, You highlighted a real 
a very real issue and a really important point. You're listening to Tom Hartman. It's the Tom Hartman University Book Club, and today we're reading from Cracking the Code, How to Win Hearts, Change Minds, and Restore America's Original Vision. We're reading from Chapter 1, and it starts out talking about how the liberal and conservative worldviews are grounded in different fundamental philosophies. It goes back to the 1600s, the 17th century. And in the 1630s, Thomas Hobbes wrote a book called Leviathan, in which he argued that human nature is essentially evil, and that without the iron fist of church or state, life would be nasty, short, and brutish back, you know, before civilization. Fifty years later, John Locke, in the 1670s, uh, wrote uh, a book called Second Treatise on Government, in which he posited that human nature was actually good, and that if we could, uh, and that the purpose of government was to help bring out that goodness. And so Hobbes established the modern conservative worldview. Locke established the modern liberal worldview. And in fact, Locke's work from the Second Treatise on Government was even quoted by Thomas Jefferson in the Declaration of Independence. Locke had said, you know, fundamental rights are life, liberty, and private property. Jefferson changed that since private property had been legalized by 1776 to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So on with chapter one. This is from page 27. Being liberal or conservative isn't a matter of where you stand on any particular issue. Some conservatives are very concerned about global warming. Some liberals oppose abortion. What makes people conservative or liberal is which story they believe at their core about the true nature of human beings. Conservatives view the world as a dangerous and evil place and believe people to be fundamentally selfish. Humans, they believe, create institutions to protect us from ourselves by constraining and channeling evil human nature in productive and positive ways. The main purpose of government is to protect, mainly through the instrument of police, prisons, and armies. Liberals view the world as a natural and harmonious place and believe people to be fundamentally good. The purpose of government, therefore, in addition to protecting us from the occasional nut job, is to help us all achieve our highest potential by pro providing things that will expand education, skills, and economic opportunities. After 9-11, George W. Bush was able to use the communication code that we talk about in this book to persuade many liberals to temporarily believe the conservative story. He used the communication code so effectively, he was able to convince Americans that Saddam Hussein, who was actually a secular nationalist, was personally connected to the Islamic fundamentalist jihadis who carried out the 9-11 attacks. Many Americans, in fact, still believe that. It's interesting to note that Hobbes was writing at a time of great poverty and upheaval in England in the 1630s. He noted how poverty makes people desperate, and desperate people can be dangerous people. London was filled with them, and he assumed that such poverty and criminal behavior was the norm of all societies that were, quote, civilized. Locke, on the other hand, was writing 50 years later as the East India Company and British colonialism were having considerable economic successes. The Enlightenment was taking hold, and a more substantial middle class emerged in England. He looked at the behavior of London's emerging middle class as a more accurate reflection of the natural state of humanity. Conservatives may well be right about the true nature of people when they're desperate. Liberals may well be right about the true nature of people when their basic needs are met and they feel safe and secure. The history of social interaction from tribal times to civilization to today has been about providing safety and security sometimes more successfully than at other times. Whereas safe, secure people do creative and positive things, desperate people do desperate things. For example, before the United States invaded Iraq, there had never in that 7,000-year history of that nation been a recorded incident of a suicide bomber killing random civilians. Never. 
about after a year of sporadic electricity, no clean water, constant strife, and the heavy foot of a foreign occupier, suicide bombers suddenly became relatively common in Iraq. One lesson of this has to do with the importance of liberal civil society to maintain democracy and of democracy to maintain liberal civil society. But war is not a form of civility. It's the ultimate failure of civility. Because it is legalized mass murder, it is rightly relegated to the measure of last resort by civilized people the world over. Thus, the majority of the civilized world was horrified when the United States launched a preemptive war on Iraq without the authorization of the United Nations. Yet many Americans bought the initial sales pitch for the war, even as the rest of the world looked on in horror. I quote George Bush's smoking gun mushroom cloud speech, and then say, this speech uses many of the tools and techniques you'll learn in this book. It's pretty clear that Bush is pushing the panic button, appealing directly to our very primitive fight-or-flight reaction. Less obviously, however, he's using language designed to engage our three most basic senses, seeing, hearing, and feeling. He's also using an even more subtle hypnotic technique called future pacing to create a kind of trance state that will make us more likely to agree with him that we'll talk about in this book. The communications techniques Bush used to persuade us to go to war in Iraq are not evil in and of themselves. They are value neutral. Franklin Roosevelt used them to sell the New Deal. Lincoln used the code to motivate soldiers to win the Civil War and end slavery. Yet when Lincoln and FDR used the communication code to push through an idea, their story stuck because it was fundamentally honest. Bush's story was not honest and therefore ultimately didn't stick. The difference between Bush and Lincoln and between Bush and FDR is simple and has nothing to do with conservative or liberal. Bush simply lied to us. There was no smoking gun. Bush persuaded the American people to invade Iraq by motivating them to avoid the gathering threat against us, Bush's words, when there was no immediate threat, at least not from Saddam, as Hans Blix was telling the United Nations as recently as a week before our invasion of Iraq. And then we talk about an ecology check, making sure that the words you're using will produce the outcome you want. The book is Cracking the Code. And uh, welcome back, Sean in Davenport, Iowa. Hey, Sean, what's on your mind today? I'd like to get your thoughts on, you say this passes, do you think we would stop the corporate lobbying of the politicians and have more qualified, quality public leaders elected? I think broadly the answer is yes, but it doesn't directly, it, it partially addresses the Citizens United pro, uh, problem by putting a $10,000 cap right now on contributions and banning, making it criminal to try to get around those contributions by setting up third-party groups. Um, these third-party groups are literally raising millions of dollars for individual politicians. Donald Trump raised tens of millions of dollars through this kind of stuff that would be outlawed by, by the uh, Freedom to Vote Act. Um, but really, uh, to get at the core of the cancer that is infecting our body politic, uh, we have to overturn Citizens United, which was my rant last week about doing court stripping. You know, just coming right out and saying money is not speech, going on, going after Citizens United, saying money is not speech and corporations are not people. That's where we need to go, Sean. Would it fix the dynamics I, so, like, Joe Manchin could not halt everything in America? Would it fix, like, I'm from no. Iowa, like... No, it no, wouldn't. That, that, okay. See, that requires changing the Senate. Right now, you've got a you've got a handful of senators representing 24 percent of Americans who can start. That's 40 senators from red states representing 24 percent of Americans who can block any action in the Senate. That's the filibuster. 
So number one, we need to blow up the filibuster. But number two, the Senate is a very, very non-democratic, small d democratic body. Uh, anti, you know, it's a, it, I, I would argue it's a violation of the Republican form of government because California with what, 28 million people, I think, or 30 million people has two senators and Wyoming with fewer than 1 million people has two senators. And that's crazy. I mean, you know, equal power over things like judicial appointments, over things like, you know, who gets on the Supreme Court, over approving ambassadors, over passing, you know, having the final say on laws. It's just wrong. But that's going to require a constitutional amendment, changing the way the Senate works. Although over the short term, the one thing the Democrats really need to be focusing on is bringing Washington, D.C. in as a state. That gives us two more Democratic senators, and that slightly rebalances the equation. Bringing in Puerto Rico as a state would be another, you know, really, really good one. Thanks a lot for the call, Sean. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Randall in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Hey, Randall, what's up? Uh, I want to thank uh, Senator Manchin for uh, showing how the president doesn't look good and the Democrats don't look good. And so President Biden's going to have to get real aggressive. He's going to this illusion that we can deal with this corporate interest and we'll get a good deal. And there's a lot of power the president does have that he hasn't used. And I'm with you. Get personal with I'm with West you. Virginia. I mean, personal with West Virginia. And I don't want to do it because I like people in West Virginia. They're nice people. But you know what? It's time. And it may it means nothing to Senator Manchin. I mean, the guy's a millionaire and multimillionaire. And, you know, he, the people in, in the, they're, they're like Oklahoma. They're poor. They need help from the government. And so I think this is going to get President Biden so if Biden decided that he was going to punish West Virginia, which I, I would be astonished if he did, I, I, I don't think it's going to happen. But if he decided that he was going to punish West Virginia for Joe Manchin being a turncoat, what could he do? Seize the uh, coal mines. Seize uh, the coal mines. Tr 
Truman shutdown of steel plants. Uh, yeah, but he, he claimed a time of war to do that. That to, you know he he used the Korean War as the excuse for that. Well, I mean, you come up with some kind of an excuse of uh, the degradation of the you know the the air quality, which yeah. is terrible. By the they way. could start and micro enforcing every little federal regulation in existence. I you know I, I'm I, I, Randall. I agree with you that what Manchin did was he pulled the mask off. And now we see the ugly face, and unambiguously. And that that means that Joe Biden needs to act. Whether he needs to act to punish people in West Virginia or whether he needs to act by getting out in front of all this and becoming the face of this legislation is the debate. I, I get your point about West Virginia. I'm more inclined to think that what Biden needs to do is get out in front of everybody. But anyhow, I got, I've got to move along. Thank you for the call. Well, let's see here, Zach in Oakland, California. Hey, Zach, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, I wanted to, you know, you're talking about the voting rights bill and, you know, and, and those two bills. I agree that we really need those to be passed. I, I think that this is like it's a no brainer. But, you know, regarding you mentioned that Joe Manchin supports you know, the one bill, the Freedom to Vote Act. But the problem is, correct me if I'm wrong, but wouldn't wouldn't that bill, wouldn't it require 60 votes? in the Senate, and since Joe Manchin doesn't support the filibuster, um, you, you know, on the, the one hand, he supports it, but it's as if he knows it's not going to pass because he won't support the it's filibuster. It's going to take I mean, 50 votes to change the filibuster, Zach, and, if, and Lisa Murkowski has said that she's open to changing the filibuster. She's a Republican. She's open to changing the filibuster right. to pass this legislation. So if Manchin decides to play petulant child, then I think there's a very real possibility Lisa Murkowski will step in and save the day. Oh uh, well, well maybe, but what about Kristen Cinema? Isn't she against the I, filibuster reform too? She says she is. She says she is, and maybe they'll find another Republican who thinks this is a good thing. Maybe not. I don't know, but it needs to. It needs to get a vote. You know, I'm not a big fan of of circular firing squads and huge critiques of, of for example, the Biden administration. But Joe Biden needs to get out there every single day talking about this. He needs to be pounding on this. He needs to have surrogates out there talking about this. This needs to become job one. And frankly, I think that uh, between this and Build Back Better, I think Joe Biden thought with Build Back Better, you know, he's such a good backroom politician, you know, a creature of the Senate kind of thing. And Joe Manchin had told him to his face. He was with him just two days ago, three days ago. And, yeah. you know, and, and so I think that, you know, Biden has been pursuing this, okay, we'll do this in the cloakrooms kind of strategy. And that just blew up in his face. So he's now confronted with a choice. Is he going to continue to try to do the cloakroom strategy, only maybe this time reach out to Republicans like Burkowski with both regard to Bill Back Butter, and I'm going to get into that right after the, this break, or with voting rights? Or is he going to take it to the people? And I am hopeful that he tries to take it to the people and that he gets a whole bunch of surrogates doing it. I mean, right now it's Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're doing a great job, but they're not, you know, official surrogates for the president. Um, and, and, and some of our most articulate senators are down with COVID right now. Cory Booker and Elizabeth Warren both tested positive. So, you know, it's kind of a tough time. But, you know, I get it. I get what you're saying, Zach, and I share your concerns. Uh, that said, I think that this is a five alarm fire. I really do. Yeah, I mean, this is it, it's beyond ridiculous to me that 
I saw a stat earlier that said 68% of the residents of West Virginia support Build Back Better. Yep. But yet Manchin's saying, nope, 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 we can't have that. I, yep. I mean, this is this is insanity. It, I know. it just is. I completely agree. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And and I, I suspect Manchin is going to do one of three things. Either A, he's going to jump to the Republican Party. B, he's going to decide to get on board with a smaller version of Build Back Better and kind of redeem himself. Or C, he's going to try to redeem himself with the voting rights bill, which he's a co-sponsor of. It's Amy Klobuchar's bill, but he's a co-sponsor. He's going to try and redeem himself with that and hope we'll all forget about Build Back Better. It's going to be real interesting to see, Zach. It's going to be real interesting. Thanks a lot for the call. here morris in long beach california hey morris what's on your mind today hey good morning everybody get something to write with in a minute i'm gonna give you a phone number and an address okay. uh you know the build back the build back better thing i, I didn't i didn't sleep good yesterday uh i don't think a lot of us slept good uh yesterday after the announcement that mr manchin gave out and uh i think i got some uh, what we need to do here to, how to address this we need to get on christopher ray's backbone we got to let him know that he has got to start enforcing the fbi the director you better believe it he is responsible for domestic terrorists. Now, when he, we've got some known documented insurrectionists serving in public office. He needs to either have them arrested or call them in for questioning. The rule of law, Tom Hartman, has got to... You're talking about uh, people like Mo Brooks and, and you know, the, uh, these uh, uh, Ron Johnson, these senators and members of Congress who are openly uh, helping and participating in January 6th? You took the words out of my mouth. The rule of law must supersede wealth. It's got to supersede political affiliation, and everybody has got oversight except for God. Okay, we need some arrests and, and uh, some inspector general to step forward. You know what the Democratic Party got right now? Back in the day, they called them Dixiecrats. Today, they call them dinos, Democrat in name only. You know, so uh, that's the way we got We got to use the institutions to support our domestic cause and to protect democracy. If we don't do that, it's not going to, we're going to, it's going to be a slow transition. And don't, don't forget this, millions of people, hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that voted for Bernie Sanders, voted for Donald Trump. But anyway, the yeah. number is 202-234-3000, 202-234-3000. Do something for democracy today. Is that the Call Justice that Department? No, that's Christopher Ray's office. Christopher Ray. That's so that's the FBI director's office. That's the FBI director's office. Whoa. On 935 Pennsylvania Avenue is his address. That's where Black Lives Matter, the black Muslims, anybody that's for democracy need to be protesting with their signs. We need the return of the rule of law. We get the rule of law back, we're good to go. Yeah. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you, Morris. Uh, fascinating. Amy in Carlton, Oregon. Hey, Amy, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. I wanted to point out that Congress actually has a option that they have never utilized as far as uh, interfer the states interfering with people's right to vote. And that's the clause, the apportionment clause, that says any state that prevents its citizens from voting, the next time apportionment comes up, their representation in Congress is diminished. can be reduced by right. the number of people that they prevent from voting. Right, that's in the 14th and Amendment, isn't it? I, 14th or 15th, I don't yeah. remember which one. Yeah. 
but I don't understand why they don't utilize that. I, I'm guessing that it has never been explicitly uh, processed, adjudicated by the Supreme Court, and therefore, just like the guarantee clause, it, it you know it's potential power, but it's not actual power. And if they wanted to try and use it, it would have to go through a constitutional test, which could take a year or two. But it's not going to go through any kind of test if they don't push it and I agree. attempt to use it. I agree. And the same is true of the guarantee clause. I mean, you know, there, there, are, there are powers in the Constitution. And, and thank you for that, Amy. I, in fact, maybe I should go back and well, I, rather than editing my piece right now, I'll write a whole new piece about the apportionment clause. Because you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And I had, uh, I, had, I had missed that when I was writing this thing on the guarantee clause yesterday. Amy, thank you. That was brilliant. Uh, appreciate the call. And thank you for watching us on Free Speech TV. Tom Harbin here with you. Uh, this is just insane. Joe Manchin privately apparently didn't realize that this would get out. And he was asked, his office is declining to comment on this. Manchin told colleagues he believes that Americans would fraudulently use the proposed paid sick leave policy, specifically saying people would feign being sick and go on hunting trips. He said the child tax credit would be used by parents to buy drugs. I mean, this is the kind of crap that we used to hear from Strom Thurmond when he, when he was, you know, oh, we shouldn't have any welfare programs, uh, Lyndon Johnson. It's just breathtaking. This is what happens when you get multi-generational, multi multi-millionaires who have never had to work in their lives in, in a serious way, in a way that, that if they fail in their work, they're literally, their, their food supply is endangered. Making laws. It's an argument for average people in the Senate rather than millionaires and multimillionaires. It's just, just mind-boggling. Anyhow, Nancy in Minneapolis. Hey, Nancy, what's on your mind today? So I think that regarding Manchin, I think that if everyone that voted for Biden put in $1 into a fund called the Public Lobbyist Bribing Fund, and that money, which would be, what, $80 million, would uh, be distributed to, once we have 51 senators to vote for Build Back Better and the Voting, voting Rights um, bill, mm -hmm. that money will be distributed to 51 senators because obviously the Senate's on the take. Yeah. No, well, and, and the, the reason the Senate's on the take and much of the House is on the take, the entire Republican Party and, and maybe a third of the Democratic Party is big time on the take, is because the Supreme Court legalized this. This is, this is what Citizens United was all about. Sure, go ahead, take bribes. Yes, free enterprise. It's wonderful. And, and that's the core problem. I, you know, I, I, I get what you're saying, Nancy, and I love the idea. The problem is getting you know, millions of Americans to cough up even a tiny amount of money. It's a huge hassle uh, getting people to do it, particularly when they're being bombarded. I mean, you know, the last week in particular, this week somewhat, uh, with uh, appeals from nonprofits. I, I must have gotten 15 or 20 pieces of mail, you know, from the local rescue mission and the local pet, uh, you know, uh, uh, shelter. And, you know, every, every charity on earth appears to know my name. And uh, it's, it's going to be a real challenge. But 
But your sentiment, I completely agree with, and we have to figure out a way around money. We absolutely have to figure out a way around this, you know, the, the, the money in politics. Nancy, thanks a lot for the call. CJ in Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, CJ says you disagree with me. What's up? Yeah, Tom, um, I really want to discuss this Build Back Better because have you seen the letter from Manchin to Joe Biden? I have not. Okay, well, it is published now or it is news. He did state $1.5 trillion and the CBO comes back at $4.7 trillion. Um, Tom, if you were going to buy a car and you were going to pay, pay for it for 10 years, but you could only use it for one to three years, would you buy that car? Yeah, this is a silly argument, CJ. Uh, no, when, 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 the, when the Donald it's Trump fast. tax cut, one and a half trillion dollar tax cut was passed, they scored it for we're one year. They didn't score it for better. 10 years. We're talking about build back. So what's good for the goose is good for the gander. <laughs> you know, no, you, you, the, 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 the CB, these CBO scores are so often BS. And any member of Congress can ask the CBO to score something and give them the criteria. They could have, Manchin could have just as easily this said, hey, score this bill over a 25-year period. How much is it going to cost? But they didn't do that, by the way, with the so-called bipartisan bill that Manchin was all in on because the Republican, there were 19 Republicans who went along with it because it was packed with hundreds of billions of dollars of subsidies for big, for big corporations that support right-wingers. That bill is adding $300 billion to the deficit this year. And give, give that a 10-year score. You know, come on, CJ, you got to be consistent. We'll be back. Stick around. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is The Hidden History of American Oligarchy, Reclaiming Our Democracy from the Ruling Class. This is from the chapter titled Lies, The First Step from Oligarchy to Tyranny on page 113, section 5. Oligarchy itself is based on a lie, specifically Thomas Hobbes' theory that concentrated power strengthens society and is more enduring than democracy. This lie violates an entire body of natural science that shows democracy, not oligarchy, is how most animal societies are organized and is the most ancient form of human society. But as oligarchy morphs into tyranny and entire new edifices of government come into being, a foundation of lies is necessary to bring people to support the emerging tyranny. Most often those lies have to do with keeping you safe. Hitler, for example, used this after the Reichstag was burned, saying that it was an act committed by communists with the help of Jews, and everything else from that point forward rested on that foundational lie. Here, Donald Trump's 2016 lies that formed the basis of his candidacy were anchored in his assertion that people with darker skin than his and his followers 
were murderers, rapists, and generally stupid and untrustworthy. On that foundation, he built concentration camps in America that invoked the Japanese internment camps of the 1940s and imposed brutal punishments on children brought to this country as refugees. These types of foundational lies are the most common first step toward tyranny. For a person to seize and hold power based on keeping you safe, he or she must first establish that people being kept safe are being kept safe from evil or less than fully human and an other. Atop the othering foundational lies, tyrants or would-be tyrants build entire superstructures and structures of lies, often ones that are easily rebutted. The lies then come fast and furious until pe people are exhausted. And out of hundreds of types of lies, a few become accepted as truths. A college professor in Germany whom Milton Mayer befriended and wrote about in his book, They Thought They Were Free, laid it out. Quote, to live in this process is absolutely not to be able to notice it. Please try to believe me, unless one has a much higher degree of political awareness, acuity, than most of us ever had the occasion to develop, end quote. He added that once the lies were normalized and accepted, it was a short step to changes in government policy, as we saw during Trump's reign. Quote, each step was so small, so inconsequential, so well explained or on occasion regretted, that unless one were detached from the whole process from the beginning, unless one understood what the whole thing was in principle, what all these little measures that no patriotic German could resent must someday lead to, one no more saw it developing from day to day than a farmer in his field sees the corn growing. And one day, it's over his head. In 1990, Newt Gingrich pioneered a transformation in the way the conservative vassals of America's oligarchs would use political power. Instead of talking about policies, philosophy, and ideas, they would simply label liberals as essentially evil and themselves as good. It dramatically simplified office holding, paving the way for all-in oligarchs like Mitch McConnell, Donald Trump, and their toadies like Bill Barr to ignore the consequences of their actions so long as they were elegantly messaged. Gingrich laid this out in a memo for Republican office holders titled, Language, a Key Mechanism of Control. In it, he carried on from Joseph Goebbels, who had repeatedly asserted that in order to control a society, one must first take control of that society's language. Gingrich gave Republicans a list of words to describe anything having to do with Democrats. They included decay, fail, collapsing, deeper, crisis, urgency, destructive, destroy, sick, pathetic, lie, liberal, they, them, bureaucracy, compassion is not enough, betray, consequence, and it, you know, it goes all the way through to, to traitor. Gingers told Republicans that it was important, as important to characterize themselves in a positive light as it was to trash talk Democrats. His list of words to apply to themselves and their policies included share, change, opportunity, legacy, challenge, control, truth, moral, courage, reform, prosperity, crusade, movement, and he goes on from there. All over the country through the 1990s, Republican politicians proudly memorized Newt's list and used his words as often as possible in speeches, writings, and media appearances. They also began to refer to the Democratic Party, founded and named by Thomas Jefferson, as the Democrat Party. There is, of course, no such thing as a Democrat Party, but in the 1950s, Joe McCarthy told Republicans that Democratic sounds too nice, and they should instead always say, Democrat Party with an emphasis on the rat. The entire Republican Party, along with Fox News and right-wing hate radio, adopted this usage in 2009 after Barack Obama was elected. 
And now the phrase even makes its way into mainstream news reports written by young reporters who apparently don't know the correct name of that political party. When tyranny begins to emerge, shifts in language become obvious, and it's important to pay close attention to how language is used, especially when certain phrases or memes are used repeatedly. Tyrants understand that it's more important to control the news than to control the army. Armies will follow what they believe to be true, but only when first convinced of its truth, and that requires control over the news. The book, The Hidden History of American Oligarchy, Reclaiming Our Democracy from Our Ruling Class, by me, Tom Harbin. Ten minutes before the hour, welcome back. Terrence in St. Louis, Missouri. Hey, Terrence, thanks for listening on SiriusXM. What's up? Hey, how you doing, Tom? Good. Hey, I know we were talking about Joe Manchin and everything, and I, I wanted to share something. It's going to be a little different. There's this guy, I work at a rec center, and there's this guy, older white guy, conservative, and we normally had Wonder Bread. They would come and give us their uh, food that was going to expire a day or two before, and uh, they would drop it off at the rec center. Well, I'm African-American. Most of the guys were African-American uh, basketball players that, that Wonder Bread, uh, the white guy, would bring to, to us. And our custodian took, the, took all of the, 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 uh, the snacks, potato chips and stuff, and he, he put it in the back room. And so some of the guys came, and they was like, hey, uh, Mr. Coleman, where's all the food that Wonder Bread brought? And I was like, hey, I don't know. So I asked Tom, make a long story short, I asked Tom, I said, Tom, where'd the food go? Well, he hid it. And he just didn't want them to have it. All right, am I guessing so, this is a metaphor I, for something larger? And this is, it is. I believe, and a lot of people uh, that I mess, deal with in the black community, we just believe a lot of old white conservatives just simply don't want people to have stuff. They don't want them to be happy. And, and you know, Joe Manchin has come up with, uh, he took the uh, unemployment down from 400 to 300. He's always ha he, he always has something to say about it. He, he said he didn't want people to to get uh, some of that stimulus money because uh, he felt that they were going to be entitled. I mean, but a lot of times they hide behind reasons. I don't want my tax money to be spent. Yeah. Uh, they should get off their tail. But the bottom line is some people, a lot of white, old conservatives, just don't want people to have things. Let me tell you where it That's started, Terrence. I mean, as, aside from the whole, you know, 400 years of slavery backstory, back in 1951, America was becoming a, a much more progressive nation. We were actually leading the world at that time. I mean, right now it's Scandinavia that's leading the world in terms of social democracy. We were leading the world. Our middle class was growing in wealth and in income faster than the top 1%, which is something that had never happened in the history of the United States in 1951. And this is the result of FDR and the New Deal and all these programs that FDR put into place. And in 1951, a guy named Russell Kirk, uh, you know, a white guy, published, an art, published a book called The Conservative Mind. And in this book, Kirk said, if the middle class of America, the working class of America, continues to get more and more wage increases because they're so, they got such good unions, if they continue making more and more money and they continue getting wealthier and wealthier, 
there's going to be three primary results. Number one, racial minorities are going to start demanding equality with white people. Number two, women are going to say, I don't want to be in the kitchen in the bedroom anymore. I want to be in the workplace. And number three, our children are going to start defying us. When he published that book, it was called The Conservative Mind in 1951, it electrified a small number of people. William F. Buckley read it, and it was his epiphany. Um, you know, and he writes about this in his book, Man and God at Yale. Um, uh, Barry Goldwater wrote, read that book and said, oh my God, this is, this is the solution to everything. And so this small band of conservatives in the 1950s and the early 1960s got together and said, we've got to stop the working class from getting richer and richer and richer because if they continue getting richer, the, 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 the minorities are going to demand rights, women are going to demand rights, and children are going to stop, and young people are going to stop paying attention to, their, to, their, to the wisdom of their elders. They were largely laughed at, these conservatives. They were ridiculed. William F. Buckley got you know, shunted off to a, a, an obscure show on public television. But then came the 1960s. And in 1961, the birth control pill was legalized. By 1965, it was in wide use. 65, 66, 67 kicked off the women's movement. Number one. Number two is starting in the early in the early 60s in a big way. The media started giving positive coverage to Martin Luther King and other civil rights leaders. And in the in the later 60s and in the early 70s, you had a series of police killings of unarmed black men that led to riots and burning cities. So you had literally, you know, you had women demanding rights, you had black people demanding rights and saying, stop killing us. And then the war in Vietnam, you had young people burning their draft cards. Women are burning their bras and black people are burning cities. And at that point in the 1960s, all, the entire Republican, or the entire conservative movement looked back at Russell Kirk's book and said, holy crap, he was right. And so when Ronald Reagan came into office in 1980, his mandate his job, and this is defined in the Powell memo. These people make no secret of this, Terrence. This is, you can easily find this. Their, his job was to strip the wealth from the American middle class, to put racial minorities, women, and young people back in their place and put white men back in charge of this country. And he did it to a large extent. He, he, we saw a reversal in the increase in wealth and income for the, for the bottom 90% that started in 1981 when Reagan became president. And it continues to this day. So, you know, number one. Number two, you saw the reversal of the rights of people. You know, for example, workplace rights, unionization. When Reagan came into office, a third of America had a good union job. People were not afraid to picket. They were not afraid to defy their, their employers. They were not afraid to demand economic justice. Now you're down to 6% of the, of, the, of, the, of the population in the private sector has a union job. So people are terrified. I mean, look at the Kellogg strike. Now they're replacing the strikers. Those people are just devastated. Yeah. They've lost their health care. Winter is coming. I mean, it's just terrible. So yeah. uh, this is I'm this is what's going on. Terrence, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm flat out of time. I would love to continue the conversation. Okay. But, you know, thank you for bringing that up because that's what's going on. This is the conservative movement yeah. that we are looking at right now. And it started in 1951 with that book in a large way. Terrence, I got to run, but thank you. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us, and that includes you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow.
You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 